It's May 18th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 264 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam dostan aziz. Durud bashama. Hope you're doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Uh, some of the whole gang are here. Uh, Smart Pega in the studio, of course. Hello. Hello. Super P, who was behind the soundboard and then things exploded and... Uh, caught fire uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is now in the studio. Hello, Super P. Hello. And Savvy Roham is uh, behind the board uh, across the glass there. Hello, Arai Roham. Hello, everyone. Arai Roham. Arai yes. Roham. Bijan Mortazavi. Mm-hmm. Two words. Bijan Mortazavi, the composer, the producer, the arranger, the performer, the, the singer, um, a, one of the, uh, probably the best violinist mm-hmm. from the Middle East. Um, he is in the Rook studio for a feature interview here. Um, I'm excited uh, that we have this interview. I'm excited Very. for people to hear it. Uh, lots of anticipation mm-hmm. for this interview. Now, we, we actually posted a, a promo reel uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Bearded Omid, <laughs> who um, <laughs> he knows his way around a promo reel. Yes. You know, Bearded Omid created a little promo reel based on clips of our interview. I should say that this interview was recorded recently. It was recorded earlier. Uh, and and so uh, Bearded Omid made a promo reel and we got a whole bunch of reaction of people saying, oh my God, I can't wait to hear this interview with Bijan Mortazavi. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interview was, um, as I say, was recorded earlier. It's a, it's ninety minutes. It's it's pretty unfiltered. It's it's raw. This is not a guy who minces words. He he's very honest about his own journey, about who he is, about his talents. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I'm really uh, looking forward to people um, hearing and seeing mm-hmm. this interview. Of course, you're going to hear it here on the podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. The whole thing. You can watch parts of it on Instagram. You know, we posted this promo, and uh, this guy, this friend, this is, is so telling of how people, are, how Persians lie. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this um, friend uh, I was talking to this morning, actually on a on a completely different matter, and he's saying, by the way, body is Persian. Body, damn it, gam. I saw the Bijan Mortazavi interview, right? <laughs> I saw the Bijan Mortazavi. Like the by the way, our promo, our reel was like less than it's thirty seconds or yes. something, right? So I go, oh, oh, you you saw the interview? Yeah, well, not all of it, but uh, you know, I saw a lot of it. it was so good, man. A lot of it. Me. Yeah, and I was like, um, well, that's weird because the the interview is is not actually up yet. Like we we posted. No, I saw some. Okay, I don't have the time, but I saw some of it. You know, it was so good. And I was like, dude, we posted twenty seconds of it. What do you consider listening to or watching an interview? Oh it was gosh. horrible. You know, I was like, wow. And then another person said, uh, another person wrote to me and was like, wow, this Bijan Mortazavi, how does he speak English so well? Really? Yeah, honestly. And I and I mean, he he's been here for 
I think 46, seven years. For, yeah, yeah, he's been here the entire time of uh, post-revolution. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, here meaning North, the North West. America, North yeah. America, uh, First, he was in he was in Texas. He was in California. Um, but then, uh, and I actually wrote back and said, I mean, come on, the guy's been here for Forever. But then the person was like, well, actually, there's a lot of these old icons. Uh, maybe they're a little older than mm-hmm. BJ, of course, but he's not that old. But, to, you know, that don't actually speak mm-hmm. uh, English, even though they've been here for 40 years. That's so true. It is true, yeah. I'm always shocked when I meet Iranians who've been here for a long time and they don't speak English. Especially when they're icons who... <laughs> <laughs> who must who needs to do the interview in, in Persian but anyway yeah he is he is immaculate in his English mm-hmm. he of course studied he's got a he's got an honorary he's got a PhD some, he's Dr. Bijan yes. Mortazami yes. not just uh, in terms of his music acumen but in terms of his you know he, he studied in various fields he's a really really impressive guy not mm-hmm. that that comes as a surprise to anybody and I realize how how much he is a He's a household name. I mean, you guys, did you know Bijan Mortazabi yes, growing up in course. Mashhad up until last month or <laughs> whenever it was you? <laughs> yeah, yes. I knew. I knew, I knew Rohan would know him. But now this is, Pega is always the, the tipping point because Pega, you you grew up in Canada, but yep. you're Ahli Hame, all the things Persian. <laughs> you're really into the Persian culture. I am, so, I am. so Bijan Mortazavi, I don't think, is someone who grows up super assimilated in the West, might not know him as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing you did. I did. And actually, um, one of the first interactions that I had with his music was when I was in dance classes. We danced to one of his songs. Oh, what kind of dance classes? I- Iranian dance, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, not traditional. Uh, no, it, it's like a modern take on. Really, they have yeah. dance classes for that? Yeah, of course they do. Wow. And I specifically remember like the the violin piece in the middle of the song. So. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I did know the great Bijan Mortazavi in the Rook Studio. That interview is coming up in just a little bit. We also, I should mention, of course, have some disturbing news to get to in our Rook Roundup. The prospect of more executions in Iran, more horrifying nonsense from the regime. So. Let's get that to that in a little bit as well with our roundup coming up. Um, nice to have you here, Super P. How has your week been? How was your weekend? I mean, I, by the way, we've gone from, uh, we've started our, what last year was our summer schedule, mm-hmm. which we do one big show a week. So we started that in case that people were wondering where we were on Monday. So we're here every Thursday now yes. uh, with um, Rook. Uh, so um, so I, we haven't actually done the official how was your week until now. How was your week, Super P? Um, my week was great. Yes, you went to a, a, a rock concert? I went to a local rock. Okay. They had a, a released show of a new song. They released and a new a, song? Yes. At a club rock show? It, it was in a bar in, in downtown Toronto. And it was great. I really enjoyed but my time. But I wanted you to, I, I thought it would be cool for you to talk about this because it had a really big impact on you. Yes. Which was what? Because I really enjoyed the night and then I came back home and I started crying. And it's been a week right now that I'm That's just how bad crying. That's just how bad this rock band was. <laughs> no, the rock band was great. Uh-huh. And But it was, you know, me being Iranian, I can't just be in a concert and don't think about what I experienced Mm -hmm. in the past 10 years in Iran, right? So uh, I just couldn't... Why just the past 10 years? 
Because like all the limitations and problems that we had in Iran, and as I, you get into your teens, you mean an older. Yes, yeah, and yeah. I'm 27 years old, and it was the first time that I've been to a rock concert, and I always uh, listen to rock music, and I've never wow. been to a yeah. rock concert, and there were Canadians that they were younger than me, and I was thinking about. Well, when I was at that age, I was, you know, in Iran, and I had... You would have had to have gone to an underground rock concert in, <laughs> in Mashhad. No, yeah. no, even we didn't have that, you know. Well, I thought so all these bands, like 25 band and everything, come from Mashhad. And yes, but, but they it's they don't have concerts, right, you know. Right. It's just, just You're not going to experience that club no, atmosphere with the rock band no, and all of that. I thought that was such a... It's, it's so interesting to me because you know Parisa Super P like she works here every day with mm -hmm. us she's you know we you don't ever th we don't always think about these yeah. things and then I said oh did you enjoy the gig and she said yeah it was my first rock concert and I was thinking wow you know that is a pretty wild thing to say for we know that you know people who are listening in Iran we know you're not you know we know everybody's mm -hmm. up to date and there's um, super technology and all of that but these are the cultural lines right that 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 somebody who's actually a rock music fan like you mm -hmm. has never been to a rock concert at the age of 27 goes to the concert and realizes there's all these kids there who first of all started going to those concerts when they were 14 and second of all have this is probably their 100th concert and yeah, you know they're exactly. five years younger than you or exactly something. Yeah. yes well yeah. it's so funny as as parisa was just talking because i hadn't had this conversation with her in the last few days and so as she's talking i'm sitting here just like glued to my seat because I couldn't even fathom what she was going to say or what was going to come out of her mouth next because I didn't think about the fact that this may have been her first rock right, concert right. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, exactly what you're saying. I just, it blows my mind. I remember I took um, Reza, Captain Reza, you mm -hmm. know, he, I mean, who has been here for a while, but yeah. also obviously grew up in Iran and into his late teens, early 20s, something. And I, I took him to a rock concert and... Um, and and poor guy, he's gonna hate me outing him <laughs> on this. But but he but he called me before we were going. He was like, um, "What do I wear?" And I said, "What what do you mean?" And he said, "Well, I've never been to a rock concert. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Iran, and so we don't go to rock concerts. Yeah. And you know, so so thank God he didn't wear the tassel shoes with no socks and the, you know, the whole actually, Iranian I, outfit. But uh, yeah, actually, I asked this question for my friend. Yeah. You know, exact same question. <laughs> and he said, all black. <laughs> just wear black. Well, that's, that's correct. <laughs> Your go-to. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you went and had that experience. I'm sorry that it's been, uh, um, it's brought up uh, trauma Lots for you. Trauma. But but it, totally understandable. And it's good that, that mm -hmm. those emotions come out. And, and again, I mean, it's... Um, I always feel like there's Iranians probably listening to this going, oh, come on, Mukhe, you know, the Dadim, there. Don't, don't let white people think that we don't know what rock music is. And, and we're not saying that. Yeah. But this is a real story of someone who's come from Mashhad, who's a progressive, cool, cool you know, mm -hmm. person in your late 20s. <laughs> you hate it when I say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just uh, said something. And, and, and this, is your, this is your new, this is your, you know, a, a new experience for you. How do you feel about her saying that, Roham? Um, it's hard for me to relate because, first of all, I was in Tehran. And I was a music teacher for like 10 years. And before that, I was learning music for like 20 years. Yeah. So I've been to rock concerts underground. I 
I performed on the rock concert. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the, so, the, the uh, Batman Gobadi movie from yeah. 2009. Yeah. It, it, there's all these underground rock concerts yeah. and stuff, right? Like yeah. From 2005, I was playing rock concerts. Right. So, yeah, I cannot relate. But, but you're not a girl in Mashhad. Yeah, Maybe but that's yeah, that's the thing. By yourself. Yeah. 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 By the way, speaking of Super P, like, okay, let, Pega, let me ask you a question about basic... <sighs> We got, we're going to get to Bijan Mortazavi and the Rook Roundup, but a, a, ba a question about basic Tarov. Okay. Okay. Basic, very basic Tarov. Yes. And you guys can row home, you can win. Tarov being politeness. Yes. You know. So this, because there was an incident with, uh, with Super P. Well, I can see her laughing, yeah, so I'm yeah, sure She knows was. where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> right. Two days ago, uh -huh. uh, we're working here in the office. And first of all, uh, I, I, I'm out, I come back and I bring some things for the for the for the bachelor the people who are working here and he to get some timbits you know and i bring parisa uh super p an iced cappuccino yes a large iced cappuccino <laughs> i'll let you know from because that's what we do yeah, right of course. Well, you've done that you brought in some sweets before yeah. or you you know hey guys uh, roham says i'm going out for him for some you know i'm getting some food you guys want anything like that right mm -hmm. that's what people do of course friends we're working together co-workers sure right <laughs> Perry saw has gone to now there's some couple places across the street from here mm -hmm. where we are have the rook studio that actually make persian food and yes. Parisa turns out has gone uh, gone over there and got some korma sabzi oh okay yeah mounds of korma sabzi <laughs> like they give big portions yes, right you know do. it's the persian all right so the day proceeds and you know this was in the afternoon when i delivered her her large ice cappuccino <laughs> and uh and and then like around six or seven o'clock which is when you guys usually leave and sometimes i stay longer super i'm, I'm in the, the i go into the kitchen and super p is there and 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 most like three quarters of the korma sabzi is uneaten of course because it's a huge portion she doesn't <laughs> eat that much and she goes oh are you you're not going home and i said no I, i'm actually going to stay here for a while, I'm probably gonna, cause I, I had work to do, I went to write, uh, I was researching for something for the show, and uh, so I knew I was gonna be here till 10, 11 o'clock mm -hmm. or something like that, me and Ugi, you know, pulling our night shift here <laughs> at the, the Rook Studio. So so I said, um, so I say, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna be around, and I'm looking at the Korma Sabzi, <laughs> and looking I at her, it. right? And then I say, I say, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I'm probably gonna go across, like to Loblaws or something and get some food. To eat, right? Wow, there's all this hormones. No, I don't say. I don't say. That. I just say I'm, I'm probably going to get some food. Yeah. There's a pause. There's silence. You know, <laughs> and then uh, and then I say, uh, Oh, are you uh, uh, are you finished with that? Or like you you going to have you going to have more of the hormones mm -hmm. eat? And she says, No, 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 no. I'm done. Oh, I couldn't eat anymore. And I was like, Oh. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a pause, and she goes, No, no, I'll save it and have it tomorrow. <laughs> 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 Now, now my question okay. is when okay. i say now and this is basic taught off yes. right this is like taught off 101 the, for mm -hmm. the introductory class oh, yeah. right if there's some leftover korma sabzi there and i brought the ice cappuccino forget the ice cappuccino even without just, the forget ice the ice cappuccino. cappuccino i'm saying oh yeah i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go i'm gonna go out and get from a supermarket yep. some food there's food on the counter there isn't it basic tarof at that point? Isn't it required under the international rules of basic Persian tarof for her to say, oh, would you like some of the korma sabzi? At Absolutely. which point I would say, no, 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 of course, that's yours. And then we get into a dispute. No, that's no, no, you right. must. No, I can't. Have a little bit. No, no, no. Here, let me put you something. You know, the whole routine. Of course. Nothing. She says, no, no, no. I'll have it tomorrow. <laughs> 
not like, would you like a little bit of it? Can I offer you some? Maybe, can, you know, no, 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 I'll have it tomorrow. Then turns her head and walks away. Carissa, <laughs> so you okay. failed the Torah okay. test. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let me just, let before me you see. weigh in, is, let, me uh, my, uh, let me just ask Roham and Pega. No, please. <laughs> is that not basic? Are these not the rules? Well, well, the there are two things about this. Right. Uh, it is basic Tarot, but at the same time, because you're older, she might have felt like this is a leftover. It's, <laughs> oh, it's not no, probably dude. polite no, to. No, no, uh, no. I disagree. No, no. I disagree. She knows me well enough to know that. that she. I would want the Gorbis. I disagree. Because well, I'm he, old. He said you it mean up. she was like, she was so respectful that she didn't want to <laughs> offer the, the Gorbis. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I have to disagree with you, Roham. This was, I mean, and on top of that, there was numerous pauses where you uh -huh. gave her the opportunity to say. It, this Parisa, this Super P, I don't think she ever offers anybody anything. Parisa, are you like Joey? from friends you don't share food is I that what's think, going on now that I think about it like, when was the last time you know like oh you know God. bearded Omid and uh, talented Anahita they come by they bring you things they do, you know. they do. Oh, right. I remember a story too now you said it uh, once uh, I didn't have lunch right and she wanted to buy lunch and I said let's share it and she said no I want <laughs> The whole portion, <laughs> and I leave it for tomorrow. So I very quickly. I mean, I, listen. I don't think there's any defense, but go ahead if you want to. Okay. Uh, give you the floor yes, to defend I yourself. I have a very uh, like good answer for right, yes. this because I asked you when I got oh. the gourmet sabzi. I came to your room and I asked you, Jean. I bought some gourmet sabzi. Do you want gourmet sabzi? Yes. And or what not? did I say? And you said no, thank you. Right. Why did I say that? Because, because under the international rules of Tarof, <laughs> oh my God. the first time first they ask you, you, you gotta say no. Of course, you say. I, did you not see? Like I was like Oogie, I was salivating looking at the gourmet <laughs> There's saliva in my mouth. I was like, Actually, no, 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 please, I mustn't. And then you, you were like, okay, that's the, you know, like you were like, fine, then you don't, you don't want any. So that, anyway, that was earlier in the day. I mean, she looks at me. Like straight, like look directly. Oh at me. No, no, no. I'll have this tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> I, I have fun you. at the Loblaws. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, oh and God. the and there's still a little bit of iced cappuccino on the <laughs> side of her, side of her cheek from earlier cappuccino. in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that you were Tarafi. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. You know, if Pego was saying I'm that, I'm the child I would, of my parents. I would I knew that I have to repeat oh my sentence my again God. because Pego is go. so Persian. Yeah. But you're not that Persian. Listen, the other thing I was going to mention is uh, before we get to the, the roundup and Bijan Mortazavi, I just want to mention that, that uh, this is a totally different thing. But did you see that Christiane Amanpour, I don't know if you guys have noticed it's in the news today, she made a statement taking issue. Remember when Donald Trump had the. Uh, last week, they, they, he was on CNN. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people saw this. They, he was interviewed for a quote-unquote town hall on CNN mm -hmm. by Caitlin Collins. And this turned into a controversy because a lot of people said, a lot of people who, there's a lot of anti-Trump people, obviously. Yeah. They, they said, you know, this guy lies. He's, he's you know, we Why don't want him. him. He the made floor? it in, on um, January 6th or whatever. There was the, the riot at the, yeah. the Capitol. Why are this guy, you know, don't give him a platform. Don't yes. put him on a stage when you know he's going to lie. He's hard to fact check all of that, right? Mm -hmm. That was a controversy. So, and, and CNN, a lot of people attacked CNN for that. A right. lot of people passionately saying, what did you do that for? What mm -hmm. are you putting this guy? 
it was interesting to me that Christiane Amanpour has taken issue with, she's a CNN anchor, mm -hmm. very famous international one who I would love to have on the show here, by the way. But uh, she's taken issue with CNN platforming Donald Trump and, and, and is actually getting a lot of love for her integrity in saying this because her position is, we should not put this person who we know is going to come on and lie, lie on the stage uh, on on uh, give give him a platform. Now you know where I went with this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so I'm, surprised. I'm, going to the same place. I'm so surprised that no one, because all these people who are now giving Christian Amanpour yeah. high fives, and no disrespect to her as a journalist and the mm -hmm. years she's put in and all of the, the hard work she's done, but but really she's getting a lot of kudos for this. A lot yeah. of people, oh look at this. This is what integrity looks like. Where does my mind go? Go ahead, Pega. Where was that same thought process when she was sitting across? Um, Foreign Minister Foreign Amir Abdullahian, right? Or however you say his Amir name. Amir Abdullahian. Right? Amir Abdullahian. Abdullahian, yeah, yes. What did we call the him? Goofy, we had a name for like, goofball or the, whatever. Well, yeah, what did I call him? Yeah, there was a Some, name we had. Yeah. For him. Uh, the, um, the buffoon, the buffoon. The buffoon, the buffoon, yes, the buffoon. So the point being, when that, she did an interview mm -hmm. with, with the Iranian foreign minister who we all know, especially at the height of the uprising, was spouting lies. Yes. And all of the arguments that she just made about Donald Trump were, would be available for this same scenario where it's a, why would you put give international attention, a high profile interview to someone that you knew mm -hmm. was gonna come in and, and lie and say of all these things. And even if you are um, counter, countering some of those points as she did in that interview, for the novice American viewer or somebody who's watching this, they might go, oh, well, there's two sides. Some people say this regime murders people. Others say they don't. There isn't two sides. Exactly. We already know what this regime is like. So we were saying, why did you give this a platform? So it was very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It was like a, you know, a little bit of a, I, I, I was surprised that nobody pointed, pointed that out, that yep. if you're going to platform the, the Amir Abdullahian, mm -hmm then maybe you should also platform Donald Trump. Or you I mean if that's your if your feeling is you can put you should put anybody, yeah. you know, and then people can decide, right? Um, because there is some sort of um, equivalence there, mm -hmm. I, I I think. Am Absolutely. I wrong? No, I, I agree one wholeheartedly. <laughs> if anybody just I mean if you disagree, uh, you think that there was a big difference between the, the two, I mean in terms of uh, obviously, there's a big difference between Donald Trump and the foreign minister. I'm saying in terms of the, the argument, in terms yeah. of the issue. Um, but there you go. I, I'd love to hear it. If anyone does disagree, I'd love to hear what the the yeah. logic behind yeah. it is. And if the person who disagrees is Christian Amanpour, <laughs> come on the Please, show. yeah, come I'm on. I'm happy to talk to you. <laughs> That'd be You're great. great. All right. Bijan Mortazavi coming up. Let me tell you something you should know. This episode featuring Bijan Mortazavi is brought to you in part by Understand You. This is the new book by Hedia Safiari. Hedia Safiari? Yes. We know we her. Have her on yes. The show. Hedia is an Iranian Canadian woman, a mother, an activist, a health professional, and the founder of Prompt Health a wellness app. She worked as a clinician for almost 20 years and created an app to empower those seeking wellness solutions and wellness businesses. She, of course, has used her voice to inspire and empower people on social media over the past year. And we had Hedia on her show, Understand You. Her book came out of the TikTok journey she had uh, and that she's been on with a gazillion followers and with all the questions asked by her and answered by thousands of people. So this is the, the, the answers she got 
when she sort of crowdsourced. So it's a really cool idea. Understand You is worth your time. It's great. It's, it's an easy to consume book that delves into the importance of asking the right questions in order to promote personal and collective growth. It is available now at amazon.ca. Support a dynamic member of the Iranian diaspora, Hedia Safiari. Go to Amazon, pick up Understand You today. All right. Let us get to the Rook Roundup before we get to Bijan Mortazabi in the Rook studio for the feature interview. And uh, I fear there's probably not a lot of good news mm -hmm. to talk about in terms of what's going on in the Iranian diaspora. Pega, take it away. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, that was that was my big sigh leading into this because I feel like, you know, we go from having these wonderful conversations at the at the top of the show and then we get to the roundup and it's like I'm just drained automatically from the news, but unfortunately the the main thing I wanted to talk about was these um ongoing executions and threat of executions. Yes. So, there's currently three young men who are um in a prison in the province of Esfahan who are on death row for allegedly killing two members of the uh, IRGC. Now, these three young men are Saeed Yaqubi, Saleh Mirhashemi, and Majid Kazemi. Um, they've been in prison since, in, in a prison by the name of Dast Gerd, if I'm not mistaken, uh, since November when this incident took place. Um, and for, gosh, days now, there's been this looming threat of them being executed. Um, and as a result of that, there's been a couple of things that have happened. There's been, um, outpour of support from the Iranian people by, you know, storming the streets, um, whether it be by car or on foot, trying to um, prevent the executions from taking place. There's been... Uh, Aren't there a bunch of people outside the prison? Well, that's right exactly now? that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. So there's been, there's been individuals who have tried to kind of create this blockade leading to um, the prison. Uh, there's individuals who have been, you know, showing up and, and camping out in front of the prison, all of that. And then there's also been uh, a very large uh, movement on social media with a new hashtag being used um, and just a general support um, and, and bringing of awareness to this topic so that maybe they can halt the executions. Yeah. What is it? Uh, um, I, I keep reading. I can never tell if how empirical this news is, mm -hmm. but I keep reading that there's been dozens, there's been 60 executions yeah. in the last week. Like I, like I, I see a lot of focus on these three, mm -hmm. Human Rights Watch, a lot of other people talking about them, and correctly so, a lot of people try to amplify the voices of those saying, hey, mm -hmm. we have to prevent these executions. But then I hear there's been... Uh, very high numbers of executions that are ongoing. I mean, we know that this happens all the time in Iran, and sometimes we don't know when it's happening. But mm -hmm. um, what 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 do you what have you discovered about that? Well, I mean, for years, Iran's been the second highest. Uh, Iran's had the second highest number of executions worldwide. So this is not news per se that you know executions take place regularly. And some of the statistics and numbers that you're pointing to, yes, there's been a, a lot of viral images and stats that have been shared. Um, I think one of them that a lot of people have seen is you know recent reports saying things like there's been an execution that's taken place every six hours for the last ten days, or you know there's been more than forty executions just in the last you know ten, twelve days things like that um and i don't dispute that i just think it's very difficult to pinpoint these numbers because yeah. you know as you know and as we've talked about on the show it's so hard to find concrete facts yeah. and evidence of when these executions take place and what's led to them and when did the court date start and, and if i'm not that. correct if i'm not incorrect some of the 
executions that have been happening have also been happening in in the provinces like Balochistan, Sistan Balochistan, where again you don't get as much information. Exactly. They're not as high profile. The people who are being killed are not as high high profile. Exactly. Uh, they executed a lot of people in uh, Sistan and Balochistan. And because Sisamba Shasan uh, is in the border, it has the same border with Afghanistan and Pakistan, they always saying that they are involved with uh, drug trafficking. Mm-hmm. So that's their excuse, but we have no idea, you know. And on the other side of the co- yes. country in Kurdistan, the same thing. There's, there's these things taking place and we don't know exactly the numbers there's what there's one other thing i just wanted to take us back to the the ongoing threat of the execution of these three young men um there was a viral image that um that was shared a few days ago which was of a handwritten note from these young men yes so i I wanted to talk about that because um first of all it was heartbreaking to see that message you know that that small piece of paper that seems like the only little bit of hope that they have and for them to plea and ask you know Iranians everywhere to be their voice it it really took me back to the beginning of this revolution and and, you know that hope that we all felt and we were trying to amplify each other's voices so I wanted to bring attention to that image and also you know reiterate that message yeah did you see did you guys happen to see the tweet uh, from Robert Malley Uh, (laughs) O'Malley yeah yeah, O'Malley yeah US envoy to Iran Robert Malley, I want to, it's just unbelievable. This, uh, he, this is quote, uh, this couple of hours ago Mm -hmm. this afternoon, Iran's possible imminent execution of, he mentions the three, uh, Maju Qasimi, Saleh and Said, is an affront to the human rights and basic dignity of all Iranians and shows the regime has learned nothing from the protests. The U.S. will continue to stand with the Iranian people. We are coordinating closely with our allies and partners to expose and confront the Iranian regime's unremitting human rights abuses the, the he's he's so to use a Persian word poru mm-hmm. this guy the goal of like like what exactly has the US done uh, this administration forgive <laughs> me but what what exactly is there anything other than these kind of statements and he's saying it shows <laughs> the regime has learned nothing from the protest you, you kind of want to go well what have you learned exactly. because this is repeated over and over again there's there's absolutely no movement on the part of the United States other than jockeying for a new nuclear deal potentially. That there's no movement otherwise. There was one statement at the Nowruz White House ceremony in between, you know, hors d'oeuvres and, and mm-hmm. laughs. So I, it's a it's a it's a it's always frustrating to read. This is the highest authority in America on the situation in Iran. Well, I mean, it's it's more than just you know inf- it's infuriating because to to have someone like that say this when you we've all heard more about the potential negotiations for the nu- for more nuclear deals than we've heard about how they stand with the Iranian people yeah. and then to see a tweet like this is just breaks my heart. Now, should we bring Robert Malley on the show? Give him a platform? <laughs> or should we bring uh, Christian Amanpour to interview Robert Malley on our show? To give them everybody another platform. But yeah, I, good old uh, O'Malley. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's a it's a, always a source of frustration. What else do you have for the the roundup? Did um, you want to say anything about executions? No, no. I just yeah. saw that message and I didn't want to read it. Like I was skipping the stories on Instagram. And you, you know, I have to say, there was a time when everyone in mm-hmm. social media, it seemed like in the Iranian uh, diaspora, was posting about it, po- possible executions. Mm-hmm. It, 
it's just not happening right now. Even though the the, the atrocities continue, that same level of a lot of people are, mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking about here, but it's not a, um, it's not at the level of what it was in October and November and December and January. And mm-hmm. It's definitely not. But I but I feel like with this image, and I, I don't know. I think this is one of the times in the last little while that I've seen kind of um, a. a rise in the amount of social media posts i've seen again from the diaspora like there was a couple of weeks recently that there was kind of this dip where we didn't see as many posts and things like that but then with this handwritten note i've seen it shared so many times in the last couple of days that i almost feel like you know maybe we're we're starting to get back to that collective hope and and all of that and demonstrations have been continuing and will exactly well that was the next point that i was going to bring up is that on may 20th there's another global call to action um it's being led by the association of families of ps752 and there's going to be rallies held um against the executions and arbitrary rulings in iran in cities worldwide so um i think there's Uh, gosh 50 60 cities that have already posted that they are going to be holding this rally Um, Toronto to name one yes Um, and of course many cities across Europe North America Um, so wherever you are check out May 20th there's likely going to be a rally in uh, in one of your cities I've seen uh, Hamid Ismailun uh, Mm -hmm. has been promoting that yes Uh, and all of the the uh, I don't know what we call them anymore the opposition (laughs) leaders uh, I've seen Massier Alenjad has been out there meeting with folks and, mm-hmm. and uh, doing her part. Reza Pahlavi, I saw today, met with Senator Richard Blumenthal mm-hmm. um, to kind of push the idea of maximum support. That's the language that Reza Pahlavi uses uh, for the Iranian People's Movement. I was actually happy to see that because uh, Blumenthal is a Democrat. Mm-hmm. He's part of the, you know, the people in power in terms of the White House. So. Yeah, and, and the Congress, actually. So you'd hope that... Um, Hopefully. Yeah, that some of that can make a difference. Anything else on the roundup? That, I think that's all I had. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, uh, Super P. Thank you, Pega. Thank, Thank you, you. Uh, Ari Roham. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now. If you want to watch this whole interview with Bijan Mortazavi, it is now posted at our YouTube as well. You can watch it. Uh, as well as hearing it here. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, uh, switch over to Telegram. And to support us, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, and become a patron uh, on our Patreon page. Uh, Become a Rook member. It means a lot to us, and we have a new Patreon member. Yes, we do. uh, Which is? Uh, Actually, this one is a little bit interesting. This is um, someone who didn't want to share their real name, I guess. Uh So this individual's username is Serendipity. Serendipity. Who is now... Great movie. Yes. Who is now a gold member uh, of the Rook family. So thank you so much, Serendipity. Thank you, Serendipity. That is serendipitous (laughs) for us. Um, You can become a bronze... Uh, at a minimum uh, for a few bucks a month or a silver or a gold member uh, and there are benefits for each and any of those if you're a regular listener or consumer of Rook content we'd love you to become a Rook member at our Patreon page again go to rookmedia.com and just press the support us button on our website all right let's get to our feature guest and it is no exaggeration that's to say my feature guest today is a star when it comes to contemporary Iranian music. He is well-known, beloved, and respected as an Iranian-American virtuoso violinist, composer, singer, and songwriter. And if you know Iranian popular music, undoubtedly you know his works. Uh, 
Take a listen to this. of some of the most familiar hits of my feature guest today, Dr. Bijan Mortazavi. He was born in Sari, Iran. He started playing the violin from a very early age and then added the piano, the guitar, percussion, folkloric string, string instruments such as oud, tar, santur. He was, by all accounts, a young musical prodigy in Iran. He moved to England to attend university in 1977, and after graduating in civil engineering, Bijan relocated to the United States in 79 to pursue his passion for music. He studied at State Texas State University, then settled in California in 1985, where he is based out of to this day. Throughout the 40 years of his music career, he has released 13 albums, several singles, countless music videos, and a number of collaborations with Iranian icons. He has also composed and arranged music for many Iranian pop singers and played alongside such legends as Moin, Haideh, and Satar. In 2009, Bijan received a fellowship PhD from the Southampton Solent University in Britain in recognition of his work on the development of contemporary Middle Eastern music in an academic form. He was further awarded the honorary degree of Doctor of Music in 2017 from Southampton. He's currently on a huge tour, but kind enough to visit us. And right now, Dr. Bijan Mortazavi joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hello, Jean-Jean. How are you? What a pleasure it is to have you here. Pleasure is all mine, and thank you so very much for inviting me to talk with our people yeah. around the world. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how do you feel about when, when you're doing an interview like this and somebody plays your old hits? Are you uh, tired of them, or are you still do you still have a good feeling about them I since they've been so good to you? <laughs> <laughs> I never get tired of those uh, pieces uh, because when I was writing them, it was with all love and uh, you know, passion and knowledge, uh, experience, whatever I had. So I never get tired of them. Are you self-critical? When you l- listen back, do you go, oh man, I would have done a different uh, arrangement here. I would have sung this differently. Uh, do you forgive yourself as you grow through this career? No, actually when I listen back to them, um, 99.9% of them are exactly the same thing if I wanted to do it today. Mm. Yeah, that 0.1% is... Uh, <laughs> What's the 0.1%? <laughs> I'm curious which is the one that didn't make <laughs> It's something that I recognized <laughs> it the same day when I released it. And it's still, when I hear it, I put my you know, finger on, on, on that uh, you know, weak point. Uh, there is a song that is called Shekoyat, Grievance. <laughs> از گریه بود 
فرصت برای خنده است ناخون به سینه میکشم از روی ناچاری ولی گوی دری ماتم کرده احساس دردی زنده نیست Everything is okay. I mean, as far as the harmony, the melodies, the instrumentation, everything is fine, except I wish that I wouldn't put that kick all the way through the song the same. I would, I should have changed it, changed the groove a bit, uh, particularly in the middle of the, middle of the song, which I did. Is the kick on four? It's like doop, doop, yes, doop, throughout yes, the whole yes, thing, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very particular thing to, to make the point 1% of sure. <laughs> it's not a vocal trill. It's not an arrangement. It's the kick drum yes. in one of your songs. But that speaks to how involved you are. I mean, I'm going to be asking you about being a multi-instrumentalist and all the different things you do. Oh, there we go. The falling microphone. This is going to be. I have a sense it's going to be a recurring. Uh, if you're listening to us, the the mic just fell, and uh, Bijan, being familiar in the studio, <laughs> has uh, has just fixed it. Um, yeah, you're you're kind of someone who, through your knowledge and talent, you're on every side of. You know, I know you compose. You sometimes you play all the instruments. You've uh, um, so y- you know when you're listening back. I'm imagining you're you're not even just listening back as a musician or the writer, or but also with the ears of a producer or an engineer or an arranger too, right? That's correct. That's correct. That's right. Um, the way that I was trained in order to write a piece. As was uh, you know those days it was on a paper it wasn't no computer or no none of these stuff so when I'm done writing a composition everything is on the paper a little triangle or a little different uh, groove on a hi hat or you know a chord a combination chord n- instead of a regular minor I would probably put it you know minor six or minor nine or you know these sort of things so I am hundred percent sure that what I want that's why I can hear it on the paper wait a minute you score everything everything really yes. I didn't even all even on your pop songs everything so the, wow yeah because of course even singers that write oftentimes will just bring a band together and say okay guys you know no, no, no. Let, let's jam and you do your parts and we'll no. you sc- you score everything you write everything. all the parts everything everything that's why I I uh, play most of the instruments myself because uh, there's n- nobody except myself to fulfill my, my, my feeling, my need on the track. Mm. The best musician, the best thing that he could do is what I want them to do. So I might as well do it myself. So, <laughs> you know, and since it's written, uh, they have to play that, you know, written part mm. th- that exactly, you know, is what I want, what I wrote. So. Uh, no, I write everything. Who is your, uh, you know, in the, when they call the Senate, the chamber of sober second thought? You know, somebody who checks on you. It's like every great writer needs an editor. Or every great musician needs a producer. Who do you trust to tell you if, I mean, it's quite a lot in your own hands, right? How do you know if you've gotten it perfect? Excellent question. Excellent question. Well, obviously and very naturally, my wife is always with me and she knows my feeling. She knows where I'm going on a piece of music and uh, trust mm. her her judgment, you know. But uh, the reason I said the great question that you ask is because I have like five, six different people in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
that I know if I ask, for example, Jihan, Jihan if, is this okay? I know that if he's, he says it's okay, it definitely is not okay. <laughs> I have the, these people and I never tell them. Right. Because right. I don't right. want to alert them, you know. Right, right. 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 I, I want it to come out from deep down. Sure. I want their uh, uh, honest opinion, what they think. And I know their thinking is not what I want. Right. And I have... Wow. Yeah. That's quite I strategic. Have, <laughs> I have another people that they, when they say, well, it's okay, Bijan, I know it's excellent. Mm. I, I have these five, six people around me for past 30, 40 years, and I know how to deal with them. They don't know it. <laughs> to this point, honest to God. They're my good friends, but they don't know it themselves. Well, but okay. When you say your wife will speak to you, mm-hmm. it, so will she... Will somebody say, hey, man, you could do this vocal performance better? Would she say that? Mm, musically, no. She never says that. Because she she knows that I'm... Um, I don't want to be selfish, but uh, I'm 64 years old, and I've been playing violin since I, since I was two and a half years. Yeah, I'm so, going to get to that. I don't believe so, that story. That's crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> You're this little guy, but anyway, we'll get to that. Babies play that. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, when you're doing something for f- 62, three years, 61, 60 plus, right? now you're good at it, you know, whatever it is. Someone can critic on me if he or she is, um, she knows more than me. Right. Right? Then I can listen. Let me, let me tell you why I asked this. I wouldn't want for a second this to be interpreted as any uh, disrespect or, or unappreciation for your mastery. I mean, you are... You know, you're a maestro. You truly are a maestro. But I have this theory about, for example, Elton John, you know, um, one of the great uh, English pop singers. My favorite. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Well, that's perfect then. You're familiar with Elton John. So I think Elton John, I mean, he's got this incredible fertile period, right, in the 1970s where he writes album after album of incredibly amazing stuff. And then something happens around 1980 and afterwards where it's kind of hit and miss. It's not as good anymore. And my theory is he became Elton John, the famous Elton John, and everyone was afraid to tell him. <laughs> you know, they didn't want to, nobody would tell him if that people he surrounds himself with when the album's not good, you know. So Elton just keeps putting stuff out and he doesn't have, he's like the, you know, uh, a king or something that nobody wants. So that's the thing that I always think when somebody who is, um, as proficient as you are at doing everything, who's there? I, I would think of Prince this way too. You know, Prince did everything. You know, yeah. who's the checks and balances, right? Who's going to look out for you? My brain, <laughs> my own brain. Uh, let me tell you something, Jian. I know that you p- uh, play uh, some instruments. Yes. Uh, to me, a good hit or a good work is not how many it, it sells. To me, th- that's not the point. It, it just doesn't matter. Mm. It just doesn't matter. I bet you anything, if you go and listen to those pieces that Elton John wrote and it wasn't good to some people, mm-hmm. they are magnificent mm. to the point of, you know, uh, view of a musician. Mm. They are almost flawless because the guy knows what he's doing. I mean, he cannot go wrong. It's like if you are a good driver, you cannot uh, go backward in a river. This is not your nature. This is not how I disagree. Huh? I disagree. Tell me why. Well, because I think even great, you know, 
golfers can have a bad golf game, you know, great. So why can't a, a great musician write a lousy song once in a while? I disagree with you. I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're performing live, yes, I do agree with you because mm. that is that moment. Uh. Something might go wrong. Mm. Nobody can control that. Mm. Even that maestro playing piano, mm. violin, whatever. But when you're writing, it is not like I write and say, okay, this is finished. No, I go back, check it. Many, many times, 20 times, 30 times, 100 mm. times. Mm. That's why a good piece to record it and release it takes at least the, at least a year. Right. I can write it in like five hours, arrange it for a big orchestra within like 15 hours, but I never release it because I must check it back, check it back, check it back, check it back. Hear what I wrote on the paper hear it, mm. hear the whole thing, hear the full thing, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. right? Then the, 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 the percentage of your, you making a mistake is less than 1%, less than 1.1% because you check it. I mean, that's a lot of thought to put into a song. Now, when you are in the moment of creation, if I can put it that way, mm -hmm. Uh, do, do you write on the piano? Where do you write uh, <laughs> your pop songs? I mean, obviously you have the violin, but where do you write the melody on? In a plane. On the plane? On a piece of paper. In your head? In my head. You don't need a, an instrument? I don't need an instrument. You write it in your head on a, pl is it always on a plane? 90%. Honey, I need to I write a new album. <laughs> we need to fly to, we need to fly to Australia, so I've got some time. <laughs> Particularly, a lot of my arrangements are done in, uh, on the plane. That, that doesn't mean that I do not write when I have instrument in front of me, either piano or a guitar. Uh, but my majority of work is done on the plane because nobody bothers me. My my thoughts and my brain is hundred ten percent towards towards the work. So that's why I basically do one. Of, I mean, uh, most of my major big orchestras arrangement there. On the plane. Well, that's now you already have the melody, so now you're doing the arrangement. That's, right. and everything. that's correct. My question is, when you're writing the the the, the essence, let's say the, 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 the creating the main melody, sure. um, at what point are you thinking about uh, the mother and the the kid on the bike and all of the things, people you just went through that you want to consider? Um, in other words, do you do you write a melody and then think, you know? I probably shouldn't go to the minor because the lady won't like this. Or do you? I mean, are, do you allow yourself that kind of um, editing of your own creativity? Uh, first of all, the the person, the main person that has to be satisfied out of my writing is myself. So I have to be satisfied first. Right. Then I think of what about you know different people. Um, sure, many many times it happened when I create the song on the paper, when I put it on the instrument and play it, I say, well, this bar has to be changed. This doesn't make any sense musically or feeling-wise. It just, you know, it just doesn't go where I want it to go. That happens, but the main thing happens in my head. Mm. Uh, whether I have an, an instrument in front of me or not, whether I have paper on fr in front of me or not, you know, it just happens there. You know, we st we talked about Elton John. Um, he once uh, famously said, uh, "I know this because I had the." the great occasion to be able to interview him a couple of times and I threw this out of him. I said, you know, he had said that some of his biggest hits or the, his most popular melody, he writes in less than 10 minutes. They, that happens. The big stuff comes to him very quickly. That happens. You can't control the moment it's gonna come, but it, is that true for you that too? That is true, that is true. 
I have uh, some mega hits song like Sure. That that you you might not believe it, but I I wrote it when I was working in a grocery store back when I was you know a student talking about forty something years ago. And you remembered it in your head. Yes, yes, sir. You, there, you didn't have a dictaphone or you didn't have a no, I didn't have rec- recording device. There was no iPhone. Nothing. To record no, it on, right? No, no, no. <laughs> so what, you went home from the grocery store? and As soon as I got off, I, uh, I you know, when, I, when something like this happened, I grabbed a piece of paper, put that stuff on it, you know, five lines, put the key, and write whatever I can remember. Just write it right on, on those five lines, the staff lines. Then when I I get home, then I have proper papers, discourse, and you know, sit down and write it down. What's really fascinating to me is you um, is you're a fusion of so many things, and one of them is is you've got one foot in the classical world, and you operate like someone like that who would score music, etc. But then you've got this major imprint, uh, your foot in, in the pop world. Usually, people don't do the both of those things. That's Usually, right. that right. the, even the biggest pop singers don't score things and you know That's write right. down. You know, they'll they'll record the melody or they'll come up with it and sing it to somebody else or something like that. So this is remarkable. Let's go back before the grocery store um, <laughs> to you being uh, first introduced to the violin at the age of two and a half, three years old. So how does a? I mean, you're still almost a baby. You've just learned to walk. Now. Watching you as a violinist now, of course, um, it, it would be, how's it doing? Is it okay? Is it's, it, okay. it's holding, the microphone's holding steady. <laughs> it's good. It's fine. <laughs> you give me anxiety. Don't look over there. It gives me anxiety. The mic's going to fall. Uh, that's that's my engineer part. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to check his yeah, yeah, Classical okay. world, pop world, engineering world. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to know the virtuoso violinist you are now is to go, okay, of course he, he, he's been doing this forever since he was a kid, that makes sense. But three, tell me the story of how at the age of three you start playing the violin. On those days, you know, uh, I used to live in Iran, particularly in that age. Uh, there was a program on, on the radio every day, every single day in the afternoon. I think it was between one to two o'clock p.m. Each day, a master, a maestro, uh, on different instrument would come to the station and play, play live. Is that Golha? The, the no, 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 that's not Golha. Golha is was with with or full orchestra. This is uh-huh. this is solo. Okay. What I'm talking about this program, this particular program is a solo. So as a tanha means uh, instrument by itself. By itself. Huh? Yeah. Uh, one day, Master Tajvidi would come to the radio and play his violin. Another day, Mr. Yohake, Maestro Yohake would do the same thing. Another day, uh, Mr. Paivar on Santu would do. Another day, uh, Kasoi with his Ney would do, you know. Uh, and I, as I was told by my parents, I loved that uh, program and I would sit and 
every single day I listened from beginning to the end. And nobody would bother me because they, they would see that how deep I'm mm. in it. But among all these things, and I owe it to my father that recognized that among all these sounds, mm. violin is the one that I, I'm just you out of this up. world. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not there anymore. Uh, he bought me a violin, a handmade Italian violin. days I'm talking about 62 years ago mm. you know 1500 commands meant a lot it was very mm. very very valuable mm. you put you could probably buy a villa, villa with it with that amount of money what an amazing father that he saw this he in is, he is he was my always my mentor and my hero yeah. Yeah. because what can you expect from a two and a half years old kid but he even noticed that mm, exactly and, and so you you get this little violin I get this little violin very very expensive one i remember that he discussed um, the talent in me with with a maestro in, in tehran uh, and he said don't let him don't let bijan touch this instrument at all because he would think since he's a child he would think this is a toy let them know and make sure that he knows this this is not a toy this is this is serious so what they did they hide the violin for six months out of my hand and I would every day I would sit you know on the top of my you know, my mother's cupboard you know up, up there and I was uh, dying to touch that instrument and play with uh, play with it somehow mm. instead my father hired um, a very very good um, maestro and he started before me touching the violin the actual instrument he started teaching me the the alphabet of the music eventually before i even put my hand on on the on the instrument i i could read music i could write music wow yeah i could i could hear some music you and you, are, you understood the language of, exactly. of music at, yeah. at, and at that early an age it's almost like a the equivalent is now you see a kid um, with a new piece of with an ipad mm -hmm. just going at the age of 3 they're they're doing things that it would take us weeks to learn because they're just That's immersed right. in it, right? Exactly, exactly. And remember this, and in that age, I was not able to read or write regular language in Farsi. <laughs> I couldn't, wow. I could, so I couldn't. This was your first language. This Music was my was your first, first language. language, and I couldn't write it in Farsi so I could remember it later on to correct myself or to teach myself or, you know, practice or rehearse, you know? So everything has to be, had to be memorized by my father. Mm as well so my father was present at all my was your father was musician it, no was he telling you to to do this or or did you really gravitate this towards this yourself i really did gravitate towards myself but but if it wasn't because of my father's discipline i wouldn't have mm. given, you know get where i was or where i am because in that age p kids get tired they want to go play sure right 
So yeah. somebody has to be there in order to control that energy. My father was the one. So where are you on the nature nurture debate? I mean, do you believe that, because certainly there's nurturing going on here, you know, your hours and hours of practice at that early an age is gonna lead to you to potentially to be a maestro. But it also feels like most three-year-olds wouldn't be able to do that. Exactly. So do you believe it's nature or do you believe it's, it's nurture? Do you believe that you were just born with a gift? Kind of both. Kind of both. I believe that I was born with liking music and also that rehearsing, discipline. If any of these weren't there, this package wouldn't be completed. I see, right, it, was, it wouldn't right. be completed. You could become a musician like right. millions and millions and millions of people. They're musicians around the world. But not many of them, they have their own signature in the world. Right. So the story is by the age of seven, you become this multi-instrumentalist. You have a facility on the piano, on on the drums, uh, um, on the guitar, um, on some of those stringed instruments, the, the centaur, et cetera. The most interesting part of that is it says to me that this kid has found his passion. If you're that interested in playing different instruments by that age, that's that can't be a directive from your parents. You must, I mean, that's gotta be, a real expression of you finding your passion, right? That's great. I love it. You ask great questions, very interesting questions. When I started playing the violin, the sound of that instrument was, was I was inspired by it. It was in, in my heart. I would feel the, the sound, the quality of sound of the violin. Huh? But gradually, like when I was like five years old, I wanted to touch piano, mm. play a little organ play a little guitar because I, I loved music, you know, regardless of the sound, of the quality of the sound. Mm. So those days, the ability of buying a piano in a Islamic country, however, the, it was way before revolution, yeah. but uh, anyway, our country is based on, you know, these things. I remember that my neighbor was uh, a one of these Ahund guys, uh, and they were keep uh, objecting they play music next door, they won't let us sleep at night, all this crap, you mm. know. So even with that situation, we, it, w it was almost very hard to buy different instruments like drums and put it in your house and practice every day or piano. I was so involved and in love with music. Believe me, please, I'm not exaggerating mm. this. If you remember those days, the, the schools, you know, uh, we had uh, we didn't have single seats. We had those benches that you mm. know, two or three people would sit. Where on. is this? Where, where, where part Tehran. Of in Tehran. Tehran. Yeah. Yes, regular. I'm talking about regular. And schools. this is the 1960s, probably right. Mm, yeah. yeah, 1962, one, okay. two. Yeah. Right. Honest to God, I used to put my finger on the bench and I start playing, <laughs> and I would stop myself. I said, "Oh, yeah, 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 I made a mistake there," without no clubbies no sound, no nothing. So that's what I'm saying. I was so damn involved and in love with with this thing that I would play on a piece of wood mm. and correct myself. That means I was hearing what I was playing on a piece of wood. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you correct yourself. So you, yeah. you oh, the, I, I moved my finger the wrong way, right, yeah, <laughs> on the bench that nobody can hear. Uh, that's fascinating. By the time you're 14, Again, as the story goes, you can corroborate, tell me if this is true. You're composing, and you put together an orchestra. 11. That you, I was 11. You, 
so uh, how did the composing piece happen? I mean, how did you learn that you, how, how did you even know that you could compose? I mean, it, that that's this sort of a green light that has to go on in, a, in somebody's head to feel like I'm, I can do this. I can actually, you know, not just reinterpret or do what the masters are doing, but I can actually come up with something myself. I love your questions, man. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, at the very, very beginning, uh, when I said 11, I was on a stage with a big orchestra on 11. That doesn't mean that I wrote the piece on 11. Okay. I was like 9, 10 when I wrote the, wrote the piece, epic. You wrote it out? Like you wrote, wrote the out. score, you wrote the, the sheet wrote the music? The whole thing, yes. The first thing that challenged me in order to compose music was, I, I, this was my vision, okay? Bijan on a stage with a humongous, big, big orchestra, and a little kid, I would see myself as a little kid. I couldn't imagine myself as a young guy, you know, or a man. And playing my, my own compositions and millions of people were listening and uh, enjoying it. This was my first, mm. first click. This was my first click, okay? Then that's why Epic was my first, uh, one of my, you know, uh, first uh, composition that I did. And it is, it is big, it is huge. Just listen to it. Yes. It's a nine mi minute music. Yes. God, for, for a eight, eight years old kid, Iranian, well, if I was from Vienna or Austria, that would have been, you know, different story, you know? Because it still would have been <laughs> remarkable, but yeah, the fact that you're a kid in Tehran in, in the Tehran, 60s, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It wasn't that uh, popular, these sort of things to happen. Mm. And uh, that drived me. And the Ahun didn't appreciate that story <laughs> either. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> that would have, you know, that was my starting point to empty my energy. To, you know, put it on the paper and make a big, huge orchestral composition. No words, mm. no lyrics, just music. Would adults listen to you? That was a good thing that I did in my career, that I always appreciate myself. I did not release my composition soon. Why I say that? Because I always say this to my students or uh, fans who come to my concerts or start playing some sort of instrument. I tell them not, okay, that is very natural for a musician to like to write, to create something, okay? But definitely, definitely it is not a reached production. Why? Because you are still learning. Doesn't matter how old you are. It just doesn't make any sense for a student to 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 create something. Definitely that creation is gonna be is not gonna be a complete one, it's not gonna be a rich one, it's not gonna be a you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so so what I did, I wrote many, many songs as well as learning many, many songs from different mm -hmm. compo composers mm -hmm. like Mr. Rouhani, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. or from Osta Tajvidi mm -hmm. or Yohaki or uh, or Strauss, you know? Just learning. I put it in my hard drive to my to my brain. Now, I didn't release them. And that was the good part. Because when I started to create and when I started to release, there was millions of pieces and bits in my in my brain that if I would I would touch think the RAM would be full at that point. All that storage. <laughs> if you would, you know, go towards any of them and just touch them melodically or harmony wise, you know, you would be full of Mm. elements full of items right your knowledge is going to be big versus somebody only have like one megabyte uh, information in his brain 
at that point though the music you're interested in is more in the classical vein right like like were, were you I mean by the late 60s are you into the the Beatles and the, the Rolling Stones and stuff like that is both that of them. you were both classical and pop both mm. of them uh, Beatles or Elton John or Shahram Shahpareh, for example, mm -hmm. or, you know many of these uh, singers that we had those days. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Well, I tend to think one of the things I've learned in my life is that one of the tricks of life and one of the people the, the people that I, I feel like we should all envy are the people who know what they want to do in in life at an early age. You know, you're at a you're at a huge and there's people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s and still don't know what they you know what their passion is, what they want to do. And then there's the kid who's 10 years old and really knows what they want. I want to be a football player, and they become messy. Or you know, I want to be a, a an astronaut, and this is what I'm going to do. You're that person. I mean, you knew what your passion was. Not only did you know what your passion was, you start winning awards. It's clear that you're a, a musical child prodigy. You know, it's clear that you have all of this. Uh, so, and it's pre-revolution Iran, so it's not like music has been banned or anything. So it's very curious to me that with that backdrop, you go to England and study civil engineering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as much as I loved music, I loved uh, piloting, you know, being a pilot, uh -huh. boxing, and making houses and freebase. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, that I had in my mind since I was a very, very uh -huh. kid, you know, early age. That's a, a, that's a diversity of, of occupations. And believe it or not, I pursue all of them. You pursued boxing? Yes, I did. Were you a good boxer? I was a good boxer. When were you boxing? 14, 15, 16, even 17. And do wrestling as well. But I, soon I recognized that my face is going to be, <laughs> you know, this, I mean, you know, it would be. Your handsome uh, face uh, will be affected by the box, uh, by the, the, yeah, the punches, yeah. Yes. Um, piloting, uh, I still do. Uh, civil engineering, I went to school for it. So the civil engineering thing wasn't a Iranian kind of, music's not not a real career, you have to become an engineer. It, was it that, or was no. it that you were you really loved it? You no. wanted to go and study civil no, engineering? I wanted it, yes. That's weird to me. Yes, I know. You're this into music, mm -hmm. and you're this passionate about it, you're writing all this stuff, and you go study civil engineering. Yeah, well, I... I, I mean, it's a Persian I, dream, you know, <laughs> don't get me wrong, my mother would, would, you know, look at me and say, why didn't you do this? But I mean, I, I, it's so curious to me. I know, but from the very beginning, the first day, I was double majored in uh, University of Texas in Austin, UT. That's that's in America, by the time you America, yes. I'm talking about England. England, no. Huh. England, uh, I was, uh, well, you had to pass A-level, O-level, you know, uh, their system, mm -hmm. and it was too soon to be double majored. So, but I started civil engineering there, and still uh, playing music, and my, my professor was Mrs. Hans, uh, God bless her soul. She was so fantastic, and she was, encouraging me all the time. She gave me a room with a brand new piano. Wow. She gave me the key and she said, doesn't matter what time it is, you can come over here, this is your key, you can mm. practice, you can play, whatever, whenever, it's, it's yours. So I was playing uh, and pursuing music as well when I was in England, but academically, yes, of course. It was, it was civil engineering until the uh, this thing, revolution happened, then I had to transfer so in the set late so it's 1979 now you've been in the uk you end up going to the us and i i've got to assume would have the plan have been to return to iran otherwise or would did you always have this idea of going to the states 
No, 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 no. My plan from the very beginning when I left Iran was, you know, uh, finishing my study and come back to Iran. Okay. Come back to Iran. But those days, uh, we didn't have any idea that this would have sure. happened. You know, and by 79, you're seeing the writings on the wall. You're seeing that That's this ain't, ain't going to be the place for a musician right now. That's yeah. right. That's that and, uh, yeah, I didn't complete my uh, studying, so I had to continue and complete, mm. so, uh, achieve something in my hand. So in England, we, I couldn't work. Obviously, the bank... Uh, relation wasn't that good with Iran, so my parents, my p- father, couldn't support me uh, mm-hmm. for for my studying uh, b- because it was me and my brother, my younger brother. So you know, he sent f- money for five times, and it was f- it was in the bank. We wouldn't get it released and uh, spend it or right. pay the fees or this and that. So we had to work, although it was a uh, illegal work, but we had to do it what in order do? to survive. Was that the grocery store? Uh, grocery store, cleaning uh, tables, uh, parking cars, hmm. cooking food, you know, this, everything, everything. Uh, legitimate, of course. So we had to transfer from England because in England we couldn't do it. Hmm. We couldn't do it. Uh, we couldn't support ourselves. And it was dangerous. So we had to, I, I moved to, to the States, continued my study, then started supporting myself. I mean, my. F- well, you didn't just move to the States, you moved to Texas. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with Texas, but right. but 1979 into 1980 in Texas in America at a time when, for people who weren't born then or or don't know this or remember this, um, it was extremely. I know this because I was a kid and I remember. It was a very difficult to be Iranian in the West, let alone in Texas. I would imagine. With the the revolution happens, Iran becomes the enemy of the states. Every night on the news, they're talking about this horrible, horrible place called Iran, et cetera. And then the hostage crisis happens. Tell me about your experience as a young man um, in Texas uh, around that time. Not only me, not only all the Iranians, but people uh, that had the same resemblance, like Arabs, like people from Venezuela. They all had their passport in their back pocket because it was dangerous. But for our, us Iranian, it was, believe me, it was a nightmare. That wasn't the night that I would have received a note from Americans. I don't know, I, I, my, my assumption that it was from uh, Americans that blah, 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 you know, all this swearing that you go back to your home. What are you Really? Doing? I swear to God, every single night, every single night. Where were these notes given to you? Under the door. Slipping under your door. Uh, the door. At the, in a door. dorm? Were you in a no, university? No, no, no. My apartment. A, you were in an apartment. And they knew you were Iranian and they would drop these notes? Yeah, like they, as I said, even if I wasn't an Arab, the right. same thing would have happened right. to me. Right. But in dorms were, were even more dangerous. And how would you deal with this? Were you someone, I mean, you're, you're, you've been a boxer. Would you react? Would you get angry? Would you fight? Would Or, or, or would you... Were you able to sort of take it in stride? How were you depressed? I mean, tell me what what went on with you at that age. Definitely, depression was something that we had all in common. But I can talk about myself. I don't know about other kids. But uh, for one thing, I couldn't fight back. One was I was representing my people. You know, I didn't want these Texans who are wilder than anybody else on there on earth. You know tell everybody else that this wild Iranian, I didn't want to hear this. Right, I just right. didn't want to hear this. You want to play things. into some kind of stereotype. Yeah, right. yeah. That's, so that was one reason. Second reason was I didn't want to get involved with uh, officers, you know, law, you know, because I was a student. I was under 
my status was a uh, student visa, mm. so they could uh, deport me as easy as one, two, three. Uh, the third thing was, um, again, I didn't want to get myself in a position that I, I didn't have any help. I did, we didn't have my father, my mother, nobody was around us. We were by ourselves. Just imagine a 17, 18 years old kid in a totally, totally strange country. How was your English? Were you proficient at that point? Or was that, was it clear that you're, I mean, I guess it would be clear you're an immigrant, but it was it. Of course. Yeah. yeah my English was good because it, when I was in uh, London, I was the first, I got the first grade on, on, on the class, so okay. particularly on the English. So my English wasn't that bad. But anyway, you know, uh, th that uh, is not the issue. It was that uh, we were, we felt so alone. You know, we didn't have anybody. We didn't have law, you know, to back us up. Yeah. We didn't have, enough budget with enough capital to back us off yeah. uh, back us off we had nobody yeah. we just had nobody and again i i tell people um because they don't if they weren't here at the time they don't know just how bad it was how much the idea of the enemy iranian terrorist or whatever had been created uh, in the minds of americans and by people in the west That's that right. it was very very difficult it was a very very difficult time and 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 i can't imagine it could have been easy for you because you're alone too right in the sense that your family is still back in iran was they your were. brother with you in texas he was with me and i was ma i got married to a lady iranian lady but we we got divorced a few years after because uh, we weren't a good match anyway but i wasn't I had those responsibility on my back as well. I was just not by myself. Right. However, in a positive point, if, if you want to look at it, I had somebody, in, you know, uh, I wasn't that alone. But mm. to really, really look at it, you know, you have responsibility towards somebody else's except yourself. Yeah. So that is, that is big. By 1985, when you moved to California, was that liberating? You go to a place where there's an Iranian community and you, the, I mean, the hostage crisis now four years earlier, there's a horrible war going on back in Iran, but did you somehow find your home in California as soon as you got there or or did it still feel like you're in a foreign place? No, I, I still felt that I was in a foreign place. I, I was lost, I didn't know where I was. I, I know that I was in, California and it was beautiful and there was a lot a lot of Iranian it wasn't like Texas or New York or Washington it was California mm -hmm. you know most majority of Iranian fled Iran but they were in California but uh it wasn't home for me it wasn't a home for me you know I I was I I one day I, w I would say I would go back to Texas another day I said wow when this Iran situation is, is going to get good so I could go back to my own mm. you know own country or down the other day I would say no this is a great place I, I gotta stay here I have friends here you know uh, we weren't certain we were lost we were I was at least mm. you know what I mean I was doing my uh, the thing that I was supposed to do but deep down this is the feeling that I'm explaining ex expressing yeah, to you yeah. I didn't know where I belong you know is this my city is this where I want to I spend my rest of life, I mean, rest of my life here, or am I going to go back to Texas? Am I going to go back to Iran? Uh, what's going to happen? Has that ever changed, Bishan? Do you still feel a little bit like where is my home, or, or do you now feel like California is, makes sense to you? Um, good question. California, obviously, since 85, it's like what? Uh, 2020 is the 30, 30 something years, right? 37, 37 years. years yeah. 37 years. 37 years is a lifetime, right? And I accomplished a lot of things there mm -hmm. in, in, in California. Plus, plus, I 
got famous there i got the chance to work over there mm. i i was given those chances so i never forget and i love it uh, it's beautiful the weather is fantastic we, we, had, we have like almost 1.5 million people the iranian mm -hmm. people then mm -hmm. that they all love me they all respect me they all know who i am you know but um your home home country your homeland is your motherland it's, it's something else I still have a lot of, lot of, lot of feeling for that country, Iran. However, sometimes when I sit by myself, I'm, I think, what if one day they take all Iranian out of Iran and put like Japanese or American, uh, African, uh, African American there, mm -hmm. or uh, French people there, not non-Iranian? Uh, would I have uh, still the same feeling for that country? Is it the soil? Is it the, oh, the what, a, what an interesting question. What an interesting question. What's your answer? Well, I, the reason that Iran is Iran for me is because of the breath that the pe people are taking. In, in, I have a feeling towards them. I have memories with them. The culture comes from these individual people, not from the bricks, not from the alleys, not from the rivers. Although I love them because I was, that creates a lot of memories for mm. me. I, I grew up there, you know. Maybe Switzerland, not maybe, definitely Switzerland has better and more, more beautiful places than Iran. But one centimeter of that piece in Iran is more valuable to me because mm. it's, I think that it's mine. That is the reason that those so many uh, memories was created in me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, people are the reason, obviously, but Unfortunately, unfortunately, pa for past few years, 20, 30, 40 years, under pressure, under anger, under sadness, under loss, under insecurity, they, these people have changed big time. I barely know them anymore. You know what I mean? The people of Iran. Yeah, we speak the same language. There are a lot of them are your fans. I know, I know, and I'm writing for these people, for mm. my fans, mm. so I have to know them very, very well. You know, I remember the reason that I'm saying this because, as I said, please uh, pay attention. When I uh, started talking about people, I started with under pressure, under yeah. sadness, yeah. under, you know, these were the facts. Yeah. These are important facts that can change your whole thing. Absolutely. Your yeah. culture, your yeah. beliefs, your behavior. You know, these are, this could be changed. Yeah. So uh, I remember when I was a or, kid. Or, or a lack of hope. Lack of nihilism hope, sure. for young people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That is, uh, to me, that is the most important thing. Yeah. You know, loss of hope. I remember when I was a kid, a young man or a young woman or a teenager would, if they definitely, definitely, be devastated for for like a dollar, it would probably take them a, a week hmm. to get that guts to come forward and ask you for a dollar for a help. Honest to God, I'm not exaggerating. This mm. is this is the truth. Now, I get at least 100, 150 every, a day message through Instagram. My uh, admin all all the time, 24 hours, calling me, Doctor, we have to receive this. We, doctor, we have received this. We have received this. And I, when I read them, everybody is so as if it is it is nothing. It is so 
natural it is so normal they're asking you for money money this uh, why do you drive a porsche and we don't have a car why do you eat why do you why are you happy (laughs) give give us money i'm a cameraman i saw this camera for four thousand dollars buy it and send it to this address they demand for this i mean what what is this This, these are other people that i know you know i still have a lot of respect for them they are my you know they're from the same country as i am but the behavior is totally changed. Does that make you sad? Very much. We came from a very, very rich country with a very rich culture, with fabulous people. You know, they care for each other. They, at least they used to care for each other. They would die for each other, you know? They would go out of their way to help a neighbor. Now it's not there anymore. It is not there anymore. But as you say, w- if you're living in desperation, uh, you don't have the luxury to try and be a quote-unquote good person or a uh, polite person, I suppose. You know, if um, um, so, uh, yeah. Maybe. That makes me sad. You ast- you asked me if, if depression was what it. I, I said yes, deep depression. If you remember yeah. a few minutes ago, you asked yeah. me this question. So that the, the depression came came from these things. You know, I'm a human human being yeah. myself. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a metal. So all these things affects on me. And remember, I'm a artist i'm an artist so if these things doesn't affect on me i'm right, not right being good let me get to the artist part i want to get to your because we put we've done the build-up but i actually want to talk a little bit about your career and by 1990 you released that first album that becomes uh, a bestseller uh, let me st- set the stage for it actually i want to play a little bit of a song of uh, uh called Chérie tell us a bit about this song before we play it this is the song that i wrote in the grocery store <laughs> is this the song in the this grocery the store one. all right Let's let's hear a little bit of this. From 1990 on the album The Magic of Bijan, the bestseller debut album. Uh, that's the song, uh, Love. What is love? What is it? Yeah, well, kind of a cynical song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wrote this song in uh, 1979 and I released it in 1990. Wrote it when I, <laughs> I just told you, when I used to work in a grocery store. So oh. uh, convenient store, actually. Does the grocery store get a commission of the royalties from this song? <laughs> <laughs> Do you send it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a it was a convenient story actually. It was something like Seven Eleven. Right. I don't know if, whether you have it here or not. Sure, yeah. 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 Oh, wow, that that album and that song. I mean, you're this accomplished multi instrumentalist. Now you're singing as well. How big a deal of it was it for you to be putting yourself out there as a singer? Singing uh, was a part of uh, our our, our uh, music uh, lessons, like guitar like piano like violin like solfege you know we had to sing so i knew it very well how to sing uh but i'm sorry to say this but uh, in our culture in iranian culture 
unfortunately, songwriters, good musicians, lyricists, they're always in behind the curtain. Yes. At least they used to be. Now it's getting better and better. Always the singer was in the front line. The star. The star was yeah. the singer. Yeah. Doesn't matter how good of a composer you used to be or you are, you would be behind the curtain, you know? Nobody would recognize Also, you. in a lot of cases, it, it surprised me, uh, learning in, in, in Iranian music, it's often divided. They're, they, you know, the, in, in Western music, it's not a surprise that the Beatles write and sing their own songs. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. less so the case in Iranian music. That's it's, right. You're more of an exception that you write and perform the songs. That's right. right. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, sometimes when I think of this, I, I say to myself that how smart I was because I thought, you know, if I wanted people to hear my music, you know, I just couldn't expose myself as a musician. Doesn't matter how good I am. Mm. They don't have a place in their mind for a good musician or a good composer, huh. but they always have an empty space in their mind for, for, right. for a singer. Right. Doesn't matter if it's a bad or good. They get famous. They get that uh, chance to be heard. Huh. So I said, well, this is if, if I want to do this correct way, I have to go this path. So I chose that path. Um, I wrote for myself and I performed it myself. Do you feel as confident? I mean, did you? Obviously, now you would. Did you feel as confident being a singer as you were a violinist? For very example? much, very, very much, very much. Even though you, you the violin, you've been uh, the famous to, since three years old. Yes, you felt like you can. I mean, you seem like someone musically who could pick up and do anything. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, my friend, I have a very good friend who's a fantastic guitar player. He says, "Bijan, when you play the guitar." Believe me, you play more comfortable and <laughs> better than you know him. Huh. I said, well, that's very nice of you, but but that's the truth. You know, whatever I grab, if it is musical, I'm extremely uncomfortable with it. Singing doesn't matter. If it's a guitar, doesn't matter. Oud doesn't matter. Violin, it's okay. Piano, fine. So, I'm very very comfortable with music. Um, how much did that album change your life? Very much. Imagine uh, working for like four or five hours, a dollars a day, uh, an hour, became almost a million a year. Did you have any idea when you made that record that it was gonna explode the way it did? Not 99%, 110%. Oh, oh really, you knew? I swear to God I knew, yes. Confident guy you are. <laughs> you know these things, I mean, I, these are, I, you knew that that was going to be a best-selling album. Listen, Jean Jean, I had some element in my hands that almost nobody had. One, I was performing on a stage. Means I knew how people would react to what. I knew what we people would like to hear. Mm. I knew how to get to their feelings. I knew all the instruments. I knew how to write. I knew how to arrange. I had enough experience on a stage you give me five songs five songs that i can perform one hour for you <laughs> i had all those elements and plus i i knew as i just said i knew this is it you know i that's it i i'm gonna hit it there in the aftermath of that debut album you do you start touring internationally and you start playing i mean the list is incredible you do royal albert hall and the kodak theater and these prominent venues on this international tour and of course famously you become the first iranian to play the greek theater That's right. which is uh for people around the world listening who don't know it it's a very uh famous venue 
in Los Angeles that is, and it's a very large head venue too. It's thousands of seats and and seventy two hundred, seventy two hundred, middle seat. of Hollywood uh, Forest. And this you did with a, a sixty piece orchestra right. of some kind. That, 59, yes. Um So tell me about that. What did it mean for the kid from Iran who had the boyhood dream of? playing his music in front of a large audience. And I know you played the song that you wrote when you were, right? Exactly. Um, t- tell me about that experience. Then we're gonna play a little bit of it. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I was I was waiting until you finish your sentences that I would go back to like 20 minutes ago when I said my vision started with the click of being on a stage with so many people playing my composition. That's why I wrote Epic. Even the song's called Epic. Yeah. and. Uh, uh, that's it. I finally achieved what I dreamt all the time, what I wanted to achieve. So here was people, 7,200 people sold out concert, beautiful, beautiful, magnificent venue, great musicians, all from Symphony Orchestra of Los Angeles, great songs. People showed me that they loved my music, so it had to be great. Everything was there, so that's it. I, I got what I wanted. Uh, were you able at the time to understand what was happening, that you were living your, your dream? Yes. You were? Yes. That's beautiful that you yes. could do that. Yes. Um, let me tell you a secret. Um, I started at 20, uh, October 20th, 1990. I re- that was the day that I, I released my album through uh, Caltech recording, this Asha mm-hmm. album. Till 93... I used to do 32 gigs a month. 32 gigs. A month? A month. Average of 32, sometimes 34, sometimes 28, 29. So you do more than one gig a, a day a in day, some uh, cases. Tw- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday didn't mean anything. So everything was from Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Well, Friday was sh- Sabbath, obviously. Saturday and Sunday. So sometimes three gigs a day, sometimes four gigs a day. I was like the master of uh, doing gigs. And that's why I made my, my bread and butter. The bread and butter, right. exactly. 93, I announced that that's it, no more gigs. I stopped all my gigs. It is very hard for somebody who does 32 gigs a month to stop all of a sudden. So it means that you're on your pick, pick, and then you announce that it is, th- it, is it, that's mm-hmm. it, done. Mm-hmm. I wanted better level. This is to answer your question whether I knew what was happening in Greek theater mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. I planned for it. I didn't go anywhere for a year. I didn't make a penny for a year because I wanted to make people thirsty for my music, for my items. I didn't want people to eat dinner and listen to my music. I wanted people to pay high price and come just for my music and sit down and listen to my music nothing else, not being invited but somebody, by somebody, and then listen to Bijan's music, no. I wanted them to come for this music, this particular music. So I wanted my to know my true fans. So I knew what I was doing here. I wanna play a little bit of Dance of Fire. Sure. And by the way, this has almost two million views on YouTube. This uh, song? This song, this mm-hmm. video of, of, of your live performance. Describe this this piece that we're hearing. <laughs> this one is uh, very, very uh, interesting. Wh- I remember one night I was doing a gig. It was in a uh, very big venue. And when I had my break, 
in the in the break when my musician were having dinner this melody came my, to my mind i said wow this is this is great and i was actually playing it with my hand on a with a fork and knife you know and then i said in the middle of the dinner i s- told my musician get up get up, let's go on stage he said well we, we still have like 15 20 minutes i said no 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 right now right now and i went up there and immediately i played this without even writing it on a piece of paper or being being it played before no mm. that was the first time and i played this then obviously I, i you know polished it and it became dance of fire but the the click was there that night and i played like four minutes of it i was just playing it it was just keep coming keep coming wow yeah. You know, there's videos on uh, the internet that call you, that some of them say, the world's best violin player. <laughs> no, I'm not the best violin player. Are you player. competitive? Do you want to be the world's best violin player? I want to be the best, uh, world's best violin player, but I'm not. You know, there are many, many better violin players than I am. And How do you I, feel when people say things uh, like that about you? Well, that's very, very nice of them. They give me extra energy. But as far as Middle Eastern music, yes, I am the best violin player in the mm. world. Eastern music, Middle Eastern music is not the all. It's not the ultimate music. You know, there we have classical, wow, fabulous music, right. and there definitely there are better violin players than than me on that aspect, on that field. When you do a performance like the Greek theater one, like a little, uh, in a couple of minutes, I want to play a little bit of uh, you in Istanbul last year with a big orchestra. Is it a different um, mindset from when you're doing? more of a, a Bijan Mosesavi uh, uh, pop concert? In other words, are you the same Bijan? Uh, or do you have to kind of think in different terms as you enter that stage? No. No, because I'm not playing somebody else's uh, composition. I'm playing my own composition. So whatever is happening there, I wrote it. I know it. doesn't matter if it's with four instruments. Or is it pop or is it... classical uh, orchestra it just doesn't matter because i know every every little as i said triangle is going to happen in next four bars i know it so i'm very comfortable and the same thing same thing for me you get this honorary doctorate in 2009 you do a bunch of teaching yes and you you said that one of your goals was to expand persian music all over the world Do you still have that aspiration? And if so, how do we do that? Sure. Um, unfortunately, uh, politics always affect on many, many things that it doesn't need to be affected by, by politics, like sport, like art. Olympic is uh, made for this, being away from politics. Mm. If you're a sportman, do your things without concerning about your, your belief politically. But in reality, it is not true. You know, I'm an American citizen. I've been in America for past 45, six years, but I'm st- still an Iranian. So the doors are not being opened that easy for me uh, because there are many, many, many negative thoughts about my country. However, I haven't been there, but I'm from that, that part of the world. Mm-hmm. So that uh, I don't want to get very deep into that, but that affects on it, right? What I wanted, and I always have dream of doing it, is uh, 
what is being taught in different universities is the international scale of music. Let me be a little more specific on that mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. For example, if they want to teach a chord or a harmony to, to a student, they would start with a major, for example, D major or G major, right? right? Okay, and then they start developing it, tell them where A stands, where B stands, where C stands, how ca you can do counterpoint on that particular mm -hmm. key, mm -hmm. so forth, right? Imagine the piano, the white clavies mm -hmm. and the black clavies. Mm -hmm. For example, G, the next black one is the G sharp, right? Right. right. The next white one is, a, is an A natural, right? Yes. It's still that G sharp becomes a flat for the for the next white one. Yes. Right? Correct? So everything is around this. But Middle Eastern music, particularly Iran music, there is another something in between. There is something in between yes. before and after it, which makes a huge, huge difference. And uh, uh, that is that is that is serving at least six, seven hundred million people around the world. Mm. Yeah. Iranian, Turkish, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, India. Well, India, uh, considering India, we're going to go more than one point something billion. Right. So, so that has something to say, but it is not being taught in universities. They don't cover it. It's just not being And there. you think, I mean, you started off by talking about politics. You think that's partly political? The uh, fact that, that, that Persian music isn't taught as much? Uh, putting these courses in university is the next, next, next steps. It has mm -hmm. to uh, start with another things in order for the politics and the art to go along with uh -huh, each other, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Then it will become another step, then another step, then maybe finally putting these courses in the university and have uh, professors for them, teachers for mm. them, and books for them being written, you know, and then, sure. You, it's partly your mission, it seems, to do fusions of, to bring East and West together mm. creatively and musically, right? I mean, it's we I hear it in the music yes. that you make. Correct. That's a conscious decision on your part, yes. is it? Yes, I've been taught classical and uh, Persian classical, both. So me being Iranian with those feelings and with those lessons and with those style of playing, so there definitely I come to a point that I, I want to, combine them, see how, what is gonna come up out of their, their combination, right, right? right? right. So I got to that point, so whatever I'm writing is the production of combination of these two knowledge together. How do you deal with traditionalists who don't like that? Who want you to play uh, a more traditional, you know, by the book, Eastern style, classical music or Western? I have a lot of respect for them as I have a lot of respect for people who do rap, I don't understand anything, but I do have a lot of respect for that. That's, that is the beauty of the world anyway, mm. you know. The, the, the world has to have different colors, whether I like it or I don't. I pick the color that I like, you pick the color that you like. Something that I really love about you is, you don't seem to, amongst the many things, <laughs> is you don't seem to have one color. You, especially when someone's as accomplished as you are and, and has, is a star, it's usually not a surprise if they have one particular sound or thing. You still feel like, even now to me, correct me if I'm wrong, sure. like a, an explorer. You're a musical, creative, cultural explorer. You had this piece called um, Malaga? 
about a uh, from uh, just a few few years ago, yes. and um, and it's got this whole Latin thing, and and I know you spent some time in Spain. That's right. So you go and you absorb that, and mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, and then you, it's in your music. And what partly I what I love about that is that you're you're obviously exploring and you're interested, but but you're also not beholden to this one thing. Bijan brand that oh I, well I can't possibly put the Spanish groove on this. That's not my thing, you know? know. Tell me about that exploration. Yeah, unfortunately, some people are like that. You know, once they're stick with something, that's it. They, they just can't see or do anything on the left side or on the right side. Understanding and seeing the way that I lived for past 40, 50 years, I experienced many, many things among my abilities. Definitely my abilities would affect on my experience on life and definitely experiencing life would affect on my abilities if you remember I told you when I started learning I didn't want to compose even when I composed I didn't release and I said you know my hard drive was <laughs> yes. getting fuller and fuller. Yes. okay that comes from there my brain my my feelings my knowledge is full of this stuff one day if I have to write a an Af- African piece I, I'm able to do that I can do that because I don't have to go study. I did my study. It is in my brain. You know, it just clicks. As like uh, Malaga, mm. that piece Malaga was in Spain, as you mentioned it correctly. Obviously, you know, we all all people from Middle East they love Spanish music because Spain was under rule of Islam for for four hundred years. Is that why they? Were, uh, yes, I sir. wondered about that. Of course, everything yes. from flamenco to the Spanish yeah. groups. Iranians love that stuff. Absolutely, even if you. Digging more, even in the flamenco, you see like 80% minor keys, mm. minor scale than major scale. And minor we like scale. That. Uh, we love that, yes. <laughs> we traffic in the minor stuff. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more gamrin. Yeah, yeah. Gamrin, yes. <laughs> and, and sweeter, sweeter, because major is nice as American and Western music do a lot of mm. major, but it is not as sweet as. That's why when you see an American write a minor music, it is a mega hit, no matter what, around the world. When they yeah, s- they it's write more, a minor, it's more satisfying to me yeah. the minor. Um, um, but th- uh, I I I love you as a musical explorer. I want to. I've kept you so long, and I'm so grateful for the time you've given us. So, You're so welcome, I sir. trust me that I'm. Uh, we're, we'll wrap up before too long here. Uh, let me let me just ask you a little bit about the recent the last couple of years. I, I guess. There was probably, I'm guessing, you like everybody else in the world was affected by COVID, and that you couldn't tour. Um, you did a huge, this big show in Istanbul uh, that I mentioned earlier with a big orchestra. I want you to play a little piece from that because I, because it's outstanding. Again, uh, folks can find this on your site on on uh, online. Let's take a listen to this. <laughs> Bijan Mortez Avi 
sorry, I stepped on the ending uh, from 2021. A little taste of his live performance in Istanbul last year. Now, that who who is that orchestra? Who is that orchestra? Yeah. Uh, they're part of uh, Istanbul uh, Symphony Orchestra. Did you score that whole thing? The whole as thing. well. The whole thing. Everything we just heard. Everything you've heard. given them the sheet music. Yes, yes, sir. It's remarkable to me. It's remarkable that you do all of that. This piece is called Zagros. I always wanted to call one of my pieces attached to one of these, uh, you know, natural things in Iran. If you listen more to this piece. I start with a cappello, then I go to a rhythm thing, to a movement. However, I put them all in one piece, but all these movements are coming one after each other. Then all of a sudden I stop doing with what I was doing with the whole orchestra and bringing the new wave of rhythm, disco type hmm. combined with the orchestra together. Another point was my ability to combine these two, mm-hmm. you know, sort mm-hmm. of music together, symphonically and uh, disco-type music together. You clearly love performing. Sure. Your tour, you're, you do a lot of shows, and you've just come, you're in Canada now, you've just done a big, uh, a bunch of dates in Germany. Sure, that's right. Um, and I'm going back to Europe again. And you're going back to Europe. A couple of days. How, do you, how do you keep yourself healthy? Uh, I came from a very, very healthy, genetically very healthy family from my father's side and my mother's side. Uh, Some of these uh, champions in wrestling in Iran who brought a few uh, gold medals to Iran, they are my mother's cousin, my mother's first cousin, my dad's first cousin. Plus, I used to mm, work out from a very, very early age. I never touched anything which is bad for your body, like drugs, things like that. Uh, never? Never, ever. You've never done any drugs? Never any drugs in wow. my whole life. Never, zero. Ever. Zero, zero. And no interest in it? No interest in it. Sometimes I used to smoke uh, some cigarettes, very tafrihi, you know, mm-hmm. uh, time to time. Socially, mm-hmm. time to time, but that's it. I what about I drinking? Drink. Drinking for past 25 years. I maybe You've been drinking heavily for the last 25 years. Oh, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, for the last 25 years, uh, you know, maybe once a sip a year <laughs> in a gathering together. Wow. Yeah, very close family or friends. I mean, that's very interesting. Mm. You never bought into the romance of that stuff. Never, ever. You know, the romance of the artist has to be self-abusing by doing oh, no, drugs. No, 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 no. I was exactly against it so, since my, my childhood. I don't know where I got it from. But when I was 12, 13 years, 14 years old, definitely I would have seen my friends, my other musicians, that they would do drugs or, you know, drink. Even on that age, I was so against being out of yourself. Mm. I didn't believe on a musician using a drug in order to be able to play, using drink to be able to, to play. To be I didn't believe somehow. that. No, 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 no. There's nothing to do with being creative. If it is your music, if it is your hands, if it is your instrument, you have to be you and play yourself, your things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What is it if you are out of yourself? This is not you d- anymore if, by anything, by by, well, by some drink. Some argue it would be an enhanced version of you. I, you know, I if don't you do mushrooms and you become this I know more creative saying. version of I yourself. I know what you're saying, but again, that's not you. Mm. you somebody else forced something else And you never felt like you were missing out. No, of course not. Like, uh, do you, you know, as a listener? 
do you miss anything in my music? I think you should be. I, I, I listen and I go, why isn't he a heroin addict? He needs to do, no, of course we don't. <laughs> <laughs> this man needs to do heroin. No, I don't, of course I don't think that. But but I also I also know, I mean, I, um, I once uh, interviewed, you know who Sonny Rollins is? No. A great, a great jazz uh, saxist. You know, in jazz, in the back in the day, in in America, they they did a lot of drugs, and and he said, yeah, it it helped my creative uh, fertility. I mean, there are some people who will testify to that, you know, uh, or even just smoking pot or something. They'll say that uh, it's never totally been my thing either. Uh, but but I but I do sometimes wonder if I'm missing out by not being more uh, active in that area. You know, I don't say that they are lying. No. Let's imagine, let's assume that they're 100% right. And it enhanced your thing in order to be, to be a be better performer or better com composer, right. right? Right. My belief is if Bijan is this guy with this ability, with these natural things, if I want to enhance something in him, this is not going to be Bijan anymore. This is affected by something, hmm. by something else. Hmm. I believe in this. When I was 12 years old, 10 years old, that's why I never ever touched anything because I don't believe in this. If I, I'm a good, good performer, I'm a good composer, I must be myself and do mm -hmm. a good composition. I must be myself to perform good. If something else is injected to me in order for me to be doesn't a better feel, performer. It doesn't feel real to you. That's, that's not real. No, it's not, it doesn't feel real to me. That's a perfect segue to a final question, which is if you're the guy who you know, the Greek theater gig was 25 years ago now. You, you know, if you hit your dream, then, <laughs> I mean, what is, what's next? What, tell me what fuels you these days. What is the, if, if the, if 10 year old Bijan writing epic was about getting to the Greek theater, now that you got to the Greek theater, what is it that keeps you hungry now? Yeah. Thank you for asking this question. Very, very important. Very important for me, at least. My dream and my wish, it may not come through, but I'm. this is wish, this is a hope. My wish is to be able to establish a chain school of music in Iran, in every, every little village. That makes the culture, the behavior, the knowledge of a nation higher and mm. higher and higher every day and mm. clean clean knowledge clean behavior that's my dream where do you start where do i start i have to start when the government allows me right i was gonna say it's um yeah it's a that's gargantuan I, task you know, at this stage i would that's imagine. what i say you know it might not come might not come through but i really do hope do hope because that is the first thing you know the government has to allow me to do this the, the government doesn't even allow me to go see my family in iran they can, you can't go and play a gig there obviously of course not of course not of uh, course and not. how does that feel to you very very sad angry devastated it is bad man it is bad one day they cut both your hands and tell you you have to eat with, with your feet some people they can do it but maybe you can do it someday but at, at the beginning you're shocked you're sad you're mad you just can't do it you're unable mm. cutting you off from your motherland is like that you know it's uh, can you can you be away from your mother even if you don't see her for 20 30 40 years 
the mother is your mother yeah. you know yeah my country is the same thing it's i have feeling towards it my country my soil so the situation is not ready for my wish to come through but i really do hope that one day it comes through i want to actually end on a song uh that you put out this year that's not unrelated to what we've just been talking about called lullaby uh, this is a tribute to the, I guess it's an ode to the plight of refugees. Um, right. tell, tell, tell me about what inspired this. I said it in few interviews that what makes a re- refugee to leave his or her house, his or her family, his or her memories, to leave all of these and go to some place totally unknown. You cannot even speak the language. And many other things. What makes a person to do that is not just only wars, you know. Uh, Poverty does that to you too. Uh, Pressure does that to you too. Devastation does that to you too. Stress does that to you too. Tell me something. If you cannot support your family, you are a human being with only 24 hours a day time for yourself mm-hmm. right in your hand you cannot make that 24 hours 26 hours there's no way and during these 24 hours in order to support your family you have to work three places and still have less money to pay your rent then what wh- how would you feel how you're not a human anymore you yeah. don't enjoy your things you don't enjoy life you don't enjoy you don't even see a tree so that's not life that definitely pushes you to to another one to be a refugee Right? That is very sad. نترس از شب منم شب زنده دارد ببند چشمات و آروم نازنینم که بغز شب رو تو چشمات نبینم What happens during this path God knows Even when they get to the third country For few years even they have to be in camps like They don't have a regular and healthy life And they are not secure, being neighbored tent to tent with another nation, with another, mm. you don't know who is in two meter away from you. You just don't know, you know, how harmful that person can be. I don't think any human being deserves this. And when I wrote this song, uh, if you listen to the, to the sadness of the melody, that mm. how it's it a beautiful melody. Uh, yeah. Even if you take away the lyrics, the music, melody itself takes you mm. to oceans to wherever you know so i was very very touched by by this truth of life that's why i ro- wrote lullaby it's a beautiful piece dr thank bijan Watazavi, i i can't thank you enough it's been a uh, an exploration mm. and an education and uh, learning about your your path and your philosophy and and your journey is, has been just such a treat to have you here. Thank you so very much, sir. Um, the most impressive thing 
of all that I, I think you've done is um, somehow figuring out how to engineer this microphone <laughs> so, so that it stayed in place. <laughs> I mean, this was an example of the magic of Michel Wars as I that it actually. Uh, Thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate this and I really do thank you for inviting me and getting me the chance to talk with my people, with any people, whoever who is listening to me means they love music. So they are my people. Merci. That's an interview with Bijan Mortazavi here in the Rook studio, recorded earlier. So grateful to Bijan for coming in and for his candid uh, uh, nature and for giving as much as he did in that interview. If you are listening to this, have been listening to this, and you want to watch that interview, we have put it up in its entirety on video on our YouTube channel at Rook Media. Uh, you can link to it from our website, in fact, rookmedia.com, or you can watch parts of it on video on our Instagram channel as well. Thank you again to Bijan Mortazabi. This is full time for Rook for today. For all things Rook related, go to our website, rookmedia.com, which is also where you can become a Rook member and support us through our Patreon page. Just press the support us button. You can also find all of our previous content there, the Uprising series, the Pink Floyd series, the Pahlavi Dynasty series, and all of our episodes of the contemporary history of Iran and more. Thank you to the amazing team who put this show together. Talented Anahita, Super Parisa, Smart Pega, Savvy Roham, Bearded Omid. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe. If you haven't done so already, find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, in the meantime, Mizun Bashin.